Hello everybody, this is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and you are watching or listening to Wine, Women and Writing. This is a show that I think of um, kind of narcissistically as my um, personal book club because we read all the books I love, talk to the authors I love. It's all about me. And so today we're going to be talking in a moment to an author that was new to me this year that you're going to love. But first, a few announcements. Um, new book out. You guys already knew this, so be sure that you're getting a copy of Livewire and going out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, because I'm running a giveaway right now to win Bling Like Maggie. Maggie has a big, um, uh, well, I had a big, let's be honest here, I had a big Labradorite ring that I wore while I was writing, or kind of a muse ring. I'm giving a smaller version of it away. So go on to um, my website, head over to my blog and enter the giveaway. That's all the news I got for you today. Other than be sure you're checking my Wine, Women and Writing page on the website so you can see next week's author and book and you can read ahead so you're ready to be discussing with me. You can catch past episodes there too. So no further ado. Today we're talking to a woman who writes these fantastic, original, voicey Western mysteries. So welcome to the show, Lisa Preston, author of The Clincher. Thanks very much, Pamela. So I am trying to remember what it is that brought you to my attention. Um, and of course, I'm, you know, something, something years old and can't ever remember anything. But I fell in love with you. You had me at hello. Fell in love with you before I even read the books because you have horses and dogs similar to mine. A Malinois, uh, the dog, is that right? Mm -hmm. And I have a really bad Malinois. You have a very good Malinois. <laughs> and she has they can yeah exactly but we can talk about those more later because i met um her online and discovered this uh malinois connection and then the horse and the, and the trails connection i went on to read the clincher and i loved it absolutely loved it so for people that haven't had a chance to read it yet could you tell us a little bit about the clincher and your horseshoe mysteries well, I wanted to do a series that wasn't being done as far as what the amateur sleuth does for a living, her setting. And I, I didn't want to do a professional detective or law enforcement officer. I, I was a cop, but didn't want to do a police procedural. It's not something I, I read a bunch of. So I know folks who have horse racers and trainers and ranchers mystery series and I wanted to do something different and uh, nobody's doing the horseshoe. I, I think I've kind of got that little niche sewn up. <laughs> and I wanted to go because I, I like the woman in the man's job, so to speak. I, I've done a bit of that myself and it, it creates a lot of interesting situations, conflict and drama and, and melodrama sometimes already. Well, um I think that you really nailed it, so to speak. I mean, I didn't even mean to use that pun, but when um, I have a friend that, that wrote a, um, a bounty hunter mystery a few years ago, thinking that she was being so original and that she would have the only female bounty hunter mystery, and it came out two months after Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum. So I am so glad that no one else snuck in and took that horseshoe or niche for you, because I think you're right. I think you've got it 
nailed shut here or nailed tight to the hoof, one or the other. <laughs> but even more than the fact that she's a, a horse shoer, which I found really fun, puts her in a, a very physical and demanding situations. And um, I loved your voice. I thought that she was popped off the page, really unique and voicey. And so I was wondering that as you were writing her, um, were there any characters or authors or people in your past that you thought of that had you able to come up with such a unique sound for her? I've spent my share of time and I live now in a pretty rural area and I just like that. It is slipping back in time sometimes where you can't tell what decade are we in with everything about those, those people and the cars they're driving and the way they live their lives, the way they speak. It's a lot of fun. And there's also enough crossover in those rural communities, the cowboy who was in Texas and now he's Montana or some vaquero who's come up from California and he's got these cool bozals and makatis and training, but now he's working in central Oregon or out in Wyoming. So there's this crossover of, oh, this is a rural guy. He's one of our tribe, but he's from this other tribe. You know, he's from another clan, but he still fits, it rocks. and they, it's not somebody who's from the big city. They can tell that right away. So there's all these cool regional dialects that can come together and you can kind of tell, even though you're in central Oregon, oh, this guy's from Texas, but he's horse people like us. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. When, um, I'm from Amarillo originally, and I enjoyed, by the way, that you had a character that was from Amarillo, um, but I believe that was Guy, right? The the love interest in this book. But uh, once I was sitting in a restaurant and a person at another table said, you're from Amarillo, aren't you? And I said, what gave me away? And he said, saying Amarillo. <laughs> you know, there's all these yeah. little differences in, in how you say what you say. What I thought was interesting about Rainey was that she's a throwback in a young woman's body. You know, that she has, like you're saying, this history um, that, that's wrapped up in the package of her that she brings with her. But she's a very young woman, right? Um, 20s? Yeah. yeah. And so here she is, this fish out of water, a young woman in a man's world with these um, different way of speaking than the rest of the people in Oregon. It, it just made for some really interesting conflict and, and uh, you know, cross-cultural situations, even within that rural world, like you say. So I really enjoyed that. And the reviewers did much. too. So tell me about this starred publisher, uh, Publishers Weekly review. I have author envy. Tell me, tell me. Yeah, uh, I've gotten some love before from Kirkus and from Booklist and Library Journal. And this was the first time that Publishers Weekly uh, brought out their starred review for one of my books. And I was, I was thrilled with that. I think the phrase they used was exuberantly quirky. <laughs> together. Yeah, I think that 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 just that works for me. Um, and so, how have things been different from for you and for this book with the Publishers Weekly recognition? I'm not sure what else is different. In um, there's a different publisher with this series than the mm -hmm. previous standalone novel, uh, and uh, so a different audiobook 
venture and they used the actress Megan Tusing to read the whole book and I just loved her. I, a tip I got from Craig Johnson long ago was to listen to your audio book when you're writing your next books because mm -hmm. it keeps you fresh on those little details of the car this guy drives or whether or not the supermarket is that close to the substation for the police or something like that. So I actually listened to the audiobook while I'm working on books two and three and four. And I, I found that a really cool tip from Craig. He's full of really cool tips. <laughs> I laugh about interviewing Craig Johnson is about saying hello. And then <laughs> you just say, at the end, you go, it was so great talking to you. <laughs> but he's, yeah. he's so awesome, so awesome and so generous and giving. He's a neighbor of ours in Wyoming. I guess you can say that when somebody lives um, uh, half an hour away because everything is, but out there, mm -hmm. a neighbor. But yeah, the um, having the right audiobook narrator for an, a distinctive voice like your character would be critically important because she is so voicey. Yes, and they use a young, young woman, you know, Megan Tusey, probably in her 20s still. I, I don't know, we, we've uh, only communicated via email, but I, I was just delighted with her effort on the preacher. That's fantastic. And so what have you, um, well, you've got the second one coming out pretty quickly now, right? When's the release date? Yeah, they actually have it for pre-order now already. Cool. So as far as you're done, uh, concerned, is it done from your end or are you still working back and forth on final details or where are you in the process? A few details and then it'll go through the proofreader. It's been through several edits already and we'll see how it goes. We have a cover. I love the cover they did and I can see where they're headed and I, I can see where the third cover will be. Uh, we have the third title, and they've got that in the house as well. Have you always working? Have you started writing the third one? Are you somewhere down the road on it? I'm I'm quite far down the road. The uh, my editor over at Skyhorse Publishing has the draft. I'm happy with that. I'm actually thinking about the sorts of things that need to happen in book four because we include the first chapter of the next book at the back of each book. So chapter one of Forging Fire is at the end of book two, which is Dead Blow coming out in November. It forces you to be honest and keep your nose to the grindstone, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it sure does. That is the deadline world when a series is going on. You mentioned earlier um, something else I found really fascinating uh, about you, and, and again, I'll tell people that I, I'm not a stalker, but we made friends on Facebook before we talked about this interview and before I read the book, and so I was already fascinated by this woman's life. And your background, you mentioned that police procedural is not your thing, but your whole life was, for a while, an endless police procedural. You have a multifaceted law enforcement background. So just give us a, just give us a taste of that because it's, I think, one of the things that lends such authenticity to your books and how it weaves in and out of criminal situations is your familiarity with it. Well, I was a city cop in uh, a pretty good-sized city. Uh, so we had about 350 sworn officers. We had, you know, drive-bys and crack deals and 
things like that. I did every job you could do pretty much. I did person's crimes as a detective. I did property crimes. I did vice crimes as a detective. I used to buy crack undercover. I uh, worked all the tough, weird jobs. I had one of the specialty unit assignments, so you did the call-outs, and that was as a hostage negotiator. Oh, yeah. And I finished my career <laughs> Yeah, in internal affairs. So I did just all kinds of administrative stuff. I did street stuff. I did everything there. You really it did. Showed me a lot. And before that, a paramedic. So you've had different entry points into the life cycle of, I don't want to say victim, you know, victims, but in a way or in a sense, people that have been in different um, places in the life cycle of a crime or of tragedy or drama. And which did you like better? Did you like that, um, you know, that more medical side of it? Or did you enjoy the being a cop and catching the bad guy? I like both sides for different reasons. Being a paramedic, you're always the good guy when you show up on the scene pretty much, whether I'm delivering a baby or fixing an overdose or stopping bleeding or starting CPR and then doing advanced cardiac life support. We were the good guys, clearly, you know, and the cops are not always viewed as the good guys when they show up on the scene. And it is so wonderfully amazing to have a hand in bringing someone back in resuscitating somebody. Got a dead person, I made a live person. I, I just love that. I love having that medical background. I went to a very good paramedic school and I've got a good solid grip on medicine. I can speak that and that's really handy for fiction, really <laughs> handy for uh, crime fiction. Especially. But police work is proactive. That being a paramedic is entirely reactive. You sit in the fire station until the bell rings. You don't go out looking for medical problems and traumatic <laughs> problems. You don't things. And in police work, you can be proactive. There's all kinds of different jobs you can do as a cop. When yeah. you're in a nice large department or medium-sized department even, you can do all kinds of different work. So your days are going to be different this year versus last year or next year. Right. You just gave me an idea for a book as you were talking. So I'm sorry, did my eyes start to, you know, go? <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> yay, grab on, hold on, I'll forget by the time we're off the call. I have more ideas that I forget. But um, I also was going to tell you that about two years ago, I have all these emails between my husband and myself where we're talking about story ideas. We storyboard together. And he has this elaborate series of emails to me. It's all his idea about... Um, a, a mystery where the, there's a series of clues and it, it's a farrier situation. It's, he's not, the farrier is not the um, protagonist. The farrier is the unwitting um, discoverer or passer along of information and the way my husband envisions it. But as soon as I started reading your horseshoe or mysteries, I'm like, I'm going to have to send her these emails and say, I swear we had these ideas before and I'm not going to write a protagonist, but there's going to be one of one of my protagonists is going to have to carry this mystery that has horseshoes. So I'm very sorry. Um, but what I was going to ask you That's was... It, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I actually find the whole farrier thing extremely interesting. We have um, a hot shoer in Wyoming that does our horse's feet. And so we spend half a day there getting our big horse's feet done and talk stories with him. And, you know, 
they are recipients of so much good ranch area gossip. You know, they know what's going on. It, it's another piece that I thought was great about your books is it was natural for her to have, to have this different view of all the ranches and the players because of being sometimes a little bit of a fly on the wall, you know, going in there and, and people talking around them. So definitely they, they visit all sorts of different properties, maybe 10 different properties a day. So they're driving from point A to point B to C and D and H uh, throughout their day. So they get to see a lot of things and they're observers by nature, by training. They are that same person who can look at a hoof and notice, eh, this is looking better than last, last month. The separation in his white line is definitely improving or look at a hoof's difference over a year, they can notice other things in this property, like, boy, that couple seems to be cooling off, or I don't think that car was there. Yeah. Well, little observation. Yeah, it, it's a, a lot of neat elements to it. And one of the uh, things you used towards the end of the book, and don't worry, I'm not going to give any spoilers here, because I want people to read this book. I really, I really think that, um, that it's, as I said, it's so voicey and it's so unique and original. You really enjoy it. Here's a picture, by the way. We got to show it off. I, in fact, it's not even a good picture. Go look at it online, you uh, you guys, because this cover is is beautiful, and I too love where they're taking the covers, Lisa. But um, there is a section of the book towards the end where um, you have them running ahead of a horse and then the horse overtaking and trading off and run and, uh, and horse run, person run. And I wanted to, you to tell people where you got that from, because this relates back to the life and times of Lisa, Lisa Preston. By the way, folks, that is a Boston Terrier yipping in the background, and I will personally kill him when the show is over. He is such a spoiled brat. But tell us about the sport that, um, th that basically the scene is based on. Well, this is called ride and tie, and it was probably the original meaning of the term hitchhike. Um, it's the fastest way to move two people with one horse that actually you don't stay together. All three of you end up separate and on your own. So if you and I were a team, if we're going to work out via ride and tie today, Pam will be on my horse and I'm on the ground and my saddle is tricked out that you can ride safely. Uh, in running clothes, in sneakers and shorts. You won't get your legs torn up and you won't put a foot through the stirrup. It's got cages, basically a caged tapadero. And uh, it's an Englishy type saddle, so you're not going to gut yourself when you lean over the saddle right. or onto your neck to get under a branch. And uh, got a tie rope off of her bridle, uh, which is actually bitless. And I've got a heavy, heavy duty twister tie on the front of my saddle. So you can use that alternately for pinning your tie rope or for pinning your reins when you need to. So Pamela's on my horse and we take off and we're gonna try to do a six minute mile over 10 miles of hard, hard wilderness or maybe 20 miles of hard wilderness. Pamela's faster than me because she's on my horse but three quarters of a mile out, she's galloping along and she picks a tree. She gets uh, her feet out of the stirrups and she gives the horse one signal that we're going to be slowing down. Pamela pins her reins, takes her lead rope, jumps off that cantering horse. The horse stops dead at the tree. She got the idea, ah, Pam, pick this tree and Pamela ties up the horse just fast as you can possibly do it and starts running. 
So the horse is on her own, Pamela's on her own, I'm way back there behind the horse, still on my own. But when I get to the horse, I untie her, and I've been eyeing her as I came up, because it was the fastest side for me to go to her and get her untied. And I jump on and sort out the reins and tie rope while I'm cantering down the road. The horse has had a nice little rest. This is actually a very natural way for a horse to travel, to run and rest, run and rest. It's more natural than the sustained endurance or the all-out sprint race. So when I catch up to Pamela, who's running down the trail, I either say, you need the horse now, or she waves me on and says, I've got a quarter mile left, and I blast by her, tie the horse up, and I run. So again, the horse is on her own. Pamela's still on her own back behind the horse. I'm on my own up ahead of the horse. And we leapfrog each other with the horse. So this yes, the heroes in the country are getting that situation where they have one horse available, and they need to boogie down the trail really fast to catch the bad guy. That's this how, is how they do it. This is what Lisa and her husband do for fun. For fun. <laughs> but I do work with a lot of friends in the area that are runners and riders. My husband is the great support too. Oh, good. Not an actual training to work out, but uh, at an event. And there's actually the Ride and Tie World Championships. They're usually on the West Coast, but they were in the East Coast just a couple of years ago. Um, it's a sport that's been around, oh, for maybe. 45, 50 years, an invented sport out here in the West. I'm dying to try it. I used to be a runner and a triathlete, but now I'm just a fat old rider. But I just started running again, and I've got a draft horse, so she's my speed, right? So <laughs> you, you have the fast Arabian, uh, well, not Arabian, but um, horse that's the precursor to the Arabian. I've got the big fat draft horse, so she's my speed. I can start practicing for the slow version of ride and time. <laughs> I think the is wonderful. At every big race, there will be folks who choose to walk it. And you can walk darn near as fast as a lot of folks can trot. So it's fine. It's an endurance race. And anything can happen. Somebody else ahead of you can take the wrong turn. So you end up passing them because they're out there with range cattle or their horse spooked or they, their horse untied. Anything can happen in an actual race. It's a huge amount of fun. And I know a draft horse who competes on the East Coast and lots of folks that you see all body types and shapes and athletic abilities at the event. It's, it's a big family reunion every time you go to one. It's I, fun. I am. Um, I cannot wait to tell my Katniss that as soon as she heals up from her tangle with the barbed wire, that she's going to get her ass in shape. And that I am too. Woohoo! Um, well, we have come to the point where we start wrapping up and Lisa and I were saying before we started, we should really just not even get on the show today. We all just want to talk dogs and horses. We didn't even get to your Malinois and the, your training books. I mean, this woman is my, she's my hero. <laughs> so you should really go check out her website. What's your website address, Lisa? It's lisapreston.com. Okay. Just like we would think it would be lisapreston.com. You can see her events where you can go and catch her live. You'll see, um, you can pre-order her next book or find her previous books. Um, she's got some great book club, book club questions for the clincher and um, a wonderful bio that um, is just a podcaster's dream because it gives you something to talk about all day. And she's got animal books, um, nonfiction, training guides, and, you know, so if these, these Western sports or dog um, search and rescue and, and different things like that is your thing, she's really got you covered all the way across. 
So before we wrap up, I am sworn to always mention that this is a solely owned and copyrighted production of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, the Wine Woman and Writing Show, and we will be back next week. I can't wait. Please go to my website and check out the book so that you can read along with us. Please get started on your Maggie tri Trilogy. Man, I'm having trouble speaking today. Starting with Livewire. Second one came out a couple of days ago. Sick Puppy. Third one in May. And then you won't hear from me again for a year because i got to go back and write. And um, other than that, folks, enter the contest, win the ring. And Lisa, it was such a pleasure. Thanks so much, Pamela. Lovely to be here. I'll be seeing you on Facebook. The rest of you guys... Have a great week. Go out and read some good books. And hey, why not get out and try some riding tie while you're at it? Bye, y'all. <laughs>